0: your time.
1: chapter 8 Jesus said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life and in Matthew chapter 5 he said you are the light of the world a town built on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and cover it with a bowl instead they put it on a stand and it's the light given for everyone to see in the room in the same way Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven.
0: I go before you now I stand beside you
2: I'm all
0: around you
2: Our holy and loving Father We desire to answer your call To come to you Some of us come to you weary and burdened. Others of us come to you full of joy and thanksgiving. But we all come to you in need of your love, your forgiveness, and the moving of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. We pray for deeper faith, for trust, for hope. As we think today about our community of faith, the church, We pray that you would help us to consider the image of you that we present to the world through our words, our actions, our attitudes. Give us a spirit of humility and openness as we seek to share your love. That others might see not us, but you. It is in your most holy name that we pray. Amen. As we continue in worship together, you are welcome to take whatever posture of worship you would like right now. If you'd like to remain standing, if you'd like to sit, if you'd like to come to the altar, please feel free to do whatever it is you'd like to do as we continue singing together. Jesus, friend of sinners, we have strayed so far away. We cut down people in your name,
0: but the sword was never
2: Of sinners, the truth becomes so hard to see.
0: The world is on their way to
2: you,
0: but but they're trickling over me. me. Always looking around.
3: Please be seated. There are all kinds of ways in which we interact with people who are not a part of the church. And um, one of the ways of doing that is that we go and serve in in a, a variety of settings. And it, it's, it's always exciting and kind of fun when... Uh, people who've grown up in the church have a sense of uh, God leading them to various places around the world. And whether that's ministry in the specific kind of sense that we tend to think of it or just life. But this morning we have the privilege, but it's also fun to welcome them back, hear what's happening in their lives and what God is doing. And this morning Zach Smalley is here and he's going to be sharing with us about the work uh, that he and his wife Aaron are doing in Colorado. Zach grew up in this church and uh, they are now in Colorado serving at camp, and he's going to share a couple minutes about that ministry.
1: Good morning. Uh, Thank you just again for the opportunity to come and talk to you guys today. Um, If you don't know me, uh, you probably know my parents, Bob and Lori Smalley. Um, They're great folks. Uh, My wife Erin couldn't be here today, but she sends her greetings. She's uh, back home incubating our first child. So <laughs> we're, we're having him or her in February. So, anyways, uh, we are missionaries in southwest Colorado for a, a ministry down there called Crossbar X Youth Ranch. It's a ministry uh, to reach socially and economically disadvantaged youth uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we work with kids from the local Four Corners area um, down there near Durango. Um, and then we also work with kids from the inner cities of Denver, Albuquerque, and Phoenix. Um, we work with kids from eight years old and up. Um, we run um, two uh, kind of our main main aspects of our ministry. We have a summer camp um, that runs in the summertime, and then all year round uh, we do um, what we call camper follow-up, which is uh, ministry to our campers continuing throughout the year, uh, including discipleship and mentoring, um, doing retreats and coffee houses, those sorts of things. Uh, during the summertime. Um, and, and uh, our, our main goal in everything we do is to present our campers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want them to leave with an understanding of the gospel, at least, at the minimum. Uh, you can see up here in the pictures. Uh, during the summertime, we have a lot of fun with our campers. There's a lot of different activities that we do. Um, you know, from hiking, uh, we do some climbing on our high ropes course. Um, we've got horses and a lake for swimming and fishing. Um, that's jeremiah he's one of my favorite campers he's a blast (laughs) Um, but there's a lot of fun activities that we do at camp but again all of it leads back to the gospel and 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 the purpose that we do it all is to present the gospel to these kids twice a day they hear a a formal gospel-based message um, and participate in worship Um, it's just a great place and a a pleasure to be a part of that ministry there one of the amazing things that, um, about Cross Barracks is because we work with kids that come from low income areas, we make it very affordable to them um, by doing a lot of fundraising and stuff. Most of our campers only pay $40 to come to a session of camp. Um, and that's either a five day session or a nine day session depending on which age group it is. Um, but you know that's pretty much unheard of in, in the realm of camping um, just because it does take a lot of money to, to bring a kid to camp. Uh, we keep our camp sizes really small. About 200 kids a summer is what we minister to. Um, this year, our largest week of camp was 35 campers. Uh, so it's great small camp sizes. There's only five kids in a cabin. So we get to get to know them personally, um, get to build a relationship with them. Um, so that my wife and I, were the program directors, so we do a lot of the follow-up um, throughout the school year of um, keeping up with the kids, dis- discipling them and mentoring them. But we do Bible studies and coffee houses and retreats. Um, all those sorts of things. We also seek um, to support their families in any way that we can. Um, Most of our kids uh, come from very broken back, you know, broken families, um, hurting backgrounds. Um, We get a lot of our kids from the foster care system. Uh, A lot of the kids, if they have a parent, they only have one. Um, Some of them are living with a relative because their folks have died. Um, And they, they bring a lot of hurt with them to camp, and camp is a great place for them um, to kind of step out of their environment, uh, get a get a new perspective on life. Be around a Christian community and adults that have time and and um, are willing to put forth the effort to pour into their lives. Um, it's an amazing ministry. Really blessed to be a part of. Um, I Found a verse that I wanted to share with you guys. It kind of kind of explains what we want our kids to understand. Uh, it's in Titus chapter two, eleven through fourteen. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Um, So thank you again. Um, i just want to say a big thank you to the church Um, obviously i grew up in here and it's a huge part of my own spiritual development Um, thank you for those of you who are our supporters Um, please continue to pray for us Um, we're always looking for more prayer Uh, we're always looking for counselors during the summertime and we're always looking for people to join our support team so if you're interested in any of those things um, or just to hear more about camp i'll be in the back after the service and i'd love to talk to you about it thank you very much
4: Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 22. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was laid, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you are crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you? or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Before my friend became a Christian, you could talk to him. He was normal. Now every conversation is condemning something about my lifestyle. All he does is keep telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. I can't believe the church has turned him into this kind of negative person.
2: I hate working on Sundays because that's when the Christians come in. I feel like I'm a project around my friends who are Christians. Go to a church they've already thrown heaps of guilt on me and condemned me before i've even stepped my foot in the door
4: christians are so opinionated
2: the church is full of just a bunch of angry people
1: church people think that they have all the answers and are more than willing to give them to you whether or not you ask for them
2: like I have to fit into their mold before I'm really welcome in the church.
1: The church is judgmental and negative.
2: Christians are hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it.
3: If those perceptions are true, we have a problem. Well, I should say the church has a problem because I'm certain they're not true of us. Uh, actually, this sermon is a little hard to preach because, you know, you feel bad talking about other people all the time and never talking about us sitting here. I think it's probably about us too. Took you a second to get that, in not it? Here's the reality. Whether we like it or not or whether we have anything to do with it or not, people have a lot of negative perceptions about the church. And it's frustrating to me, as I'm assuming it probably is to you if you're a Christian, because you work hard, you think about it, you try to do the right things, and then people still have these negative ideas. And you want to be able to, with a broad brush, just sweep it all away and make it all better and change everyone's perceptions. But the reality is we have no ability to do that. All we can do is work at changing the perceptions of people in our lives and as I ponder that and think about it that's probably enough it's probably going to take as much energy as I have available to try to be the kind of witness to the people in my life without worrying about the people I have no interaction with we may be sitting there thinking okay people have this negative perception about it I don't know what we can do about it I don't even know if we even should worry about it The problem is, when you read the scriptures, the very last thing Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is this. You will be my witnesses. It's your responsibility to represent me in this world. And that means how people perceive the church is extremely vital. See, here's the thing. A lot. Sometimes people have drawn a picture of, of two cliffs with the chasm between them and God on one side and human beings on the other side. And there's this bridge that Jesus has... When Jesus came, he has bridged that gap. Because of the negative sense of the church, there is. I saw a picture that, where they took that and they changed it just a little bit. And because of the negative influence of the church... Now there is not one chasm, there's two. It's not just sin that separates us from God. It's the the attitude and the spirit and the witness of the church that makes it that much more difficult for people to see how much Jesus loves them and how much Jesus cares for them. And I want to change our lives. And that ought to bother us. In fact, it ought to shake us to the very core of our being that the church might actually make it more difficult for people to experience the love of Jesus. Now, I've been pondering why we do that. What is it about the church's witness that that creates this negative spirit? I, I suspect that there are a lot of things, but a few of them came to my mind. One is, I think it's when we think that that we just start talking to people without any connection with people. I'm convinced that that we we only are able to really talk with people about Jesus when we've earned the right to do that. And that comes from relationship. And relationships take time and energy. We connect with them. We build relationships. The alternative to that is that people are sort of a project. You know, we sort of become... Sometimes the church gives the impression that we're sort of salespeople. And all we're looking for is to try to get people to sign on the dotted line and then we move to the next person. You've probably seen those CarMax commercials where the people say, I just... I hate car buying, and I don't want to go into the dealership, and I just, I just want, I wish car buying was as easy as buying something from the grocery store. They don't care what make or model the dealership has. They don't even care what they cost. They don't want to go to the dealership. And if that's true of people buying cars, how much more is it about people ex- dealing with those deepest experiences of our being At some point, we have to be able to build relationships with people that opens the door for them to be ready to hear the gospel. And let's be honest. All of us, in one way or another, if we've come to Christ, came to Christ because of relationships. It might have been in our family. It might have been in a church you grew up in. It might have been some... We might not have grown up in the church, and somebody else had something to do with it. But every one of us has come to Christ in some form through a relationship. And when I read through the book of Acts and I look at the early church, what you see is Paul going to each church and he goes to the synagogue and he has relationships with people. And for them, it's their heritage that connects them. And Paul keeps making inroads and connecting with people. In Acts 17, he goes to Athens and he sees all the idols everywhere. And he goes to the place where they debate philosophies and religion and he says, he says I, I, I got something I want to say. I can tell you all are deeply spiritual, religious people. It's obvious to me that the spiritual part of your being is vital to your existence. And I think that's awesome. I saw a God that you called called an idol to the unknown God. And I'd like to talk to you about that. And he shares with them. And some of them believe, some of them don't. But he connects with them. And for us, it's almost always going to be building relationships. But here's the problem. Sometimes we have this mindset. I'll we'll build a relationship so that we can talk about Jesus. Tim Keller says we used to talk about friendship evangelism. Forget the forget that. Just talk about friendship. I mean, the whole point is we want to build relationships with people. We love people, we care about people. And and at some point in time, if we have a relationship with someone, if we've become friends, if we have if we have connected with each other, at some point in time, the things that are most important to us are going to come out in the conversations we have. And instead of feeling like salespeople who are saying, I gotta get make the sale, I gotta make the sale, I gotta push it, we're friends with people. And ultimately the things that are important to them become part of the conversation and the things that are important to us become part of this conversation but they're organic and they're real and they're true and they're not contrived and there's no sense of well I'm just your friend because. We're just friends. I read about a church that that, uh, decided they wanted to help out with a, a big community parade in the town where the church was located. And so they were having an open meeting for people who wanted to help, and some of the church representatives, including the pastor, showed up. And they said right away they could tell the people who were running the thing got real nervous. Why are those church people here? And their immediate response in their minds, you said, you could see it, was, okay, how, are they, how do they want to use this event for evangelism? And so they said, now look, we need to understand, nobody, no propagation of stuff here. Nobody can hand out things here. You know, this is just a community event. And he said, I think they were thinking that we would get up and leave because that was defeating the purpose of why we were there. But we weren't there for that. We were just there because we love our town. We thought this was a great event and we wanted to help make it successful. And when they began to understand that, he said what was fascinating is, they began to have a much more positive view of the church. And some of those people in time wanted to know more about Jesus. No agenda. No project. Just, we care about you. You're important. I think sometimes we also wrestle with, you know, the the idea that when we, when we talk about Jesus, it's more about our rights than it is about caring about people. I, I was pondering in my mind this scenario that Peter and John, you know, they've been arrested, they brought before the council, and, and they're being told, you can't say these things, you've got to stop speaking about Jesus. We're demanding you do that. And I have this image in my mind of Peter and John saying, whoa, whoa, wait a second, you can't tell us what we can say and what we can't say. In fact, the minute we were arrested, we got people out on the steps of the of the temple here and they've got picket signs and we're we're getting we're getting a litigation started because you're not going to tell us that we can't talk about Jesus. It's ludicrous. You think what that would have done to their witness? It wasn't about their rights. It's just about Jesus. And what brought them there in the first place was they did this good deed for this man who, needed, who wanted money from them and they said, we don't have money, but we can pray to Jesus for you to be healed. He says, okay, I can take that. And he is. And the, and the leaders of the religious council say, look at, what are we going to say to them? They've done this great thing. The guy's standing right here. How can we argue with them? And the mindset that Peter and John have is not... It's not antagonism, it's boldness, it's confidence, but it's humility. When they say they were astonished at them because they were bold and they were courageous. And, and the, all of this is not watering down the gospel. We're, we're not trying to act like we're not Christians. We're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to pretend. We're not trying to act like, well, we really want to talk about Jesus, but, okay, we won't, we won't say anything about Jesus... No, it's, it's not what we say as much as it is how we say it. It's the spirit in which we communicate the truth. We're called to speak the truth. The difference is thinking about what exactly is the truth we communicate. When Richard Mao was here a few weeks ago for Clue, one of the things he said that just grabbed me, he said, often we think of civility and, and convictions as the opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, either I hold to my convictions or I'm civil to people. And he asked this question, why can't civility be one of our convictions? I think that's profound. That one of the things that is is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus is civility. That, that we 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 talk about Jesus in a way that is not antagonistic, but it's loving and compassionate and full of grace and mercy. And it's the truth. Because that's the truth of Jesus. I mean, after all, what is it we have come to share? We've come to share good news. Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, I have come to preach good news. That's why I'm here. And, and that's what we are doing as well. And so often, we get wrapped up in all the negative stuff, in the rules and the obligations and, and all this stuff. And we can sometimes even think the object of even talking to people about Jesus is so they'll obey the rules. Well, no, the object of talking to people about Jesus is so they get set free. So they don't have to live under the bondage of of sin and the agony of of soul and spirit because they know there's so much more in life, but they don't know what it is. We're trying to help people see what it is like for, for Christ to come into a life and to be who we were created to be. It's good news. It's the greatest news in the world. But sometimes it doesn't come across that way. Because all we want to talk about is judgment and rules. When Jesus kept talking about grace and mercy and love, truth. But that's the truth. Philip Yancey said, one of the tests of our love is that people like being around us. In the movie, as good as it gets, Jack Nicholson says to Helen Hunt, you make me a better man. Isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't that the goal that because people encounter Jesus, they become better people? They become filled with joy and peace and grace and love and all the things that everyone deep inside wants. That's the goal. I think it comes back to who we are. If we are people, as we talked last week, who hunger for Jesus so much that we're filled with the Spirit, then it changes who we are when we encounter people who aren't Christians. It starts here. It starts with us. It starts with being like Jesus. It's fascinating to me that when the disciples stand before the religious leaders, they make this statement. They were... They remembered that they had been with Jesus. Now I think in its core, they're saying, these guys, we recognize that these guys were followers of Jesus. When we saw Jesus, we saw these guys. And they connected them. But I think there's also something deeper than that going on. I think there is this sense that when we look at these guys, we see Jesus. When we see them, when we encounter them, when we talk with them, when we have connections with them, we see the life of Jesus in them. We see something of Jesus coming out in them. And they really do represent Jesus. And to call them Christians, which means little Christ, that's what we see. N.T. Wright says that he has a, a Jewish friend to this day When her children babysit Christian couples who are out working in the prisons or or helping with hospice or working at the youth center, if anybody asks where the couple is, they inevitably say, oh, they're out being Christian. Wow. They're out being Christian. And by that they mean they're out doing good in the world. I suspect that if they do enough babysitting, Something about Jesus is going to is going to come alive in them. Because what they see in these Christian couples is Jesus. Mother Teresa used to say, first we meditate on Jesus, and then we go out and look for him in disguise. We go out in the world and we're looking for people. We're not going out to judge people. We're going out to try to find people who are needy and hurting and to try to help them and to try to share the good news of Christ in every way that we can. But it starts with meditating on Jesus. That's why we're coming to the table this morning because at this table we find grace. This table is enveloped in grace and what you and i need to understand and, and to really acknowledge is that anything good in us is because of the grace of god anything about our witness that might lead anybody closer to jesus is because of the grace of god it is about christ in us that's made us who we are we didn't do anything to become whatever however good we may be it's jesus And when we begin to understand that in deeper ways, we start being a whole lot more patient with people, a lot more loving, caring. We start representing Jesus more effectively. I I once read about a Christian leader who said, who cares what the world thinks about the church? It doesn't make any difference. You know, they're sinners. They don't like us. Of course, they're going to be against us. What difference does it make? how they view the church, what their perception of the church. And I say it makes all the difference in the world. Because quite frankly, how people view the church is how they view God. And as the church of Christ, as witnesses of Christ, as representatives of Christ, we are it. Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, didn't leave a book. He left the church. It's the greatest of all the risks that God takes ...to allow His precious gospel to be in the hands of fallible people like you and me. It stuns me every time I think about it. And yet, God is pleased for us to represent Him. God is pleased for us to be the kind of people whose lives... ...even in our fallibility and our stumbling and our our struggles that our lives might make people a little more open to Jesus than they would be otherwise. Might make them a little bit more interested in Jesus than they were otherwise. That's what it means to be the church and to represent Him. And wouldn't it be awesome if because of Christ in us, because of the grace of God in our lives, wouldn't it be awesome if instead, When people encounter us and we hear their perceptions of the church because of us, that instead of hearing the kind of stuff that we heard a few moments ago, maybe, just maybe, we hear some things that sound a little bit more like this.
2: My friend Susan isn't afraid of my questions, she doesn't get defensive when I rant about God or the church. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to church with her this Sunday, and I'm actually excited about it.
1: I struggle with so much in life. Even though I don't always take advantage of it, I know that the one safe place I can go and find help is in the church. My Christian friends are my favorite people to be around. They don't do some of the things that I do, but they never judge me. I love talking with them about Jesus.
2: Although we disagree about a lot of things, Joe continues to care about me. He didn't stop being my friend when I rejected his faith. When our family went through a crisis a few years ago, the church down the street got us through it. I have a friend who's a Christian. No one is a
0: more compassionate listener than he is.
2: I wish I would have known earlier that not all Christians are such jerks. I had no idea. Maybe I would have believed in Jesus
0: earlier.
3: Gracious Father, we thank you for all the ways in which you are at work in us as the church. We pray that you will forgive us for the times when we represent you poorly, when our lives and our witness actually push people away from you than toward you. Forgive us. Father, we pray that you will you pour out your blessing on each one of us and on this world. Well, sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own stuff and it's painful and, and we, we hurt. This morning we bring all these things to you. We pray, Father, for people who are grieving today. We pray for people who are struggling with with illness and pain. We pray for everyone who's wrestling with the future. We pray for everyone who's dealing with shame and guilt today. And we ask that you would bring healing and grace to each one of us in a way that you only can do through your spirit. Father, we pray for this world. We think of the people, people of Haiti as they are in this season of elections and the threat of instability and, and and trouble, and we pray that you will bring you bring your grace to bear on this nation of people that you dearly love. We pray you'd help them. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution. Pour out your spirit in their lives and give them courage and strength that they need. And Father, we pray that you will bless. Zach and Aaron and their work at the ranch in Colorado. We pray that they would sense your spirit helping them as, they, as they've as they worked with the camps this summer and now as they do follow up and working with, with discipling and helping students with, with life, we pray that you would give them all the grace that they need. Father, we thank you for hearing all of our prayers today. We pray, Father, for your blessing and your grace upon this table Blessing upon these elements. As we prepare to eat and drink, may it be food for our souls. May we come face to face in a new way with your grace in our lives. And may we be so grateful that we become just a little bit more like Jesus. We ask this in his precious holy name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup and again, he gave thanks to the father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by rows this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you can return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. We also have uh, trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here as well and cups, and I'm happy to serve those to you. Just let me know as you come forward. i like to mention that we always we practice open communion at the West Church. Perhaps this is the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire in your heart to be a, a living, loving witness of Christ, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father.
0: Find your mercy, O sinner unreal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. i yeah.